The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. COVID 19 pandemic continuing coverage on 630 Chad. All right, so yesterday the number of new cases in Alberta was up 126 uh, to just under 2,000 at 1,996. We had no new deaths reported yesterday. The provincial death toll from COVID 19. Uh, sat at 48 yesterday afternoon. More than 82,000 tests had been administered in Alberta to date. Dr. Hinshaw has taken the podium. Let's head to the Alberta Legislature. Thanks, Tom. Good afternoon, everyone. Today, I'd like to provide an update on COVID-19 in the province, as well as take a moment to talk to you about other ways that you can protect your health. First, I want to update you on the service disruption that I mentioned yesterday. Late Tuesday night, a power failure in our data center caused a small electrical fire and brought down, unfortunately, our reporting system. As I said yesterday, I know many Albertans are interested in the daily COVID-19 updates. Teams are working around the clock to restore all applications as quickly as possible. We appreciate your patience as we get the system running again, and we hope that all will be resolved by tomorrow. Although we do not have in-depth data available today, I hope to provide our usual data as a part of tomorrow's update. What I can tell you is that we have identified 162 new cases of COVID-19 in Alberta. This brings the total number of cases to 2,158. We have completed 2,779 tests over the last 24 hours. Sadly, I must report two additional deaths related to COVID-19. A male in his 70s in the Calgary zone and a female in her 80s in the North zone. I want to express my sincere condolences to the families and friends of these individuals. The scale of this pandemic means we often talk in case numbers, but we must never forget that every case is a person. Every death is a tragedy for the people who love them. I'd also like to update on several outbreaks that have garnered significant attention recently. Yesterday, I announced an outbreak had been confirmed at the Curl Lake Oil Sands Project. Alberta Health Services continues to work closely with the company to implement outbreak procedures at the site. We are doing everything possible to limit the risk of transmission. My Alberta Health Services colleagues also continue to work with the operators of the Cargill Meatpacking Plant in High River. They have assured me all appropriate measures are being taken and Cargill has voluntarily and fully cooperated to ensure the health and safety of staff. In addition to complying with all public health measures, Cargill has increased physical distancing between employees and slowed down the lines while ensuring meat processing can continue safely. I would like to stress to Albertans that everything that needs to be done to keep people safe in Curl and other camps and food processing facilities like Cargill is being done. I have also been asked a number of questions recently about cases in healthcare facilities. Last week, seven staff members tested positive at the Foothills Medical Center Maternity Ward. As soon as tests came back positive, health officials took immediate action to limit the spread to staff and protect patients. No patients were affected and no new staff cases have been reported in the past week. 
I want to assure Albertans there is no increased risk to pregnant patients coming to the Foothills Medical Centre. The maternity units continue to be a safe and appropriate place to deliver babies and receive care. I know many Albertans have concerns about protecting hospitals and other healthcare facilities from the spread of coronavirus. I also share these concerns. This is why aggressive measures have been put in place to protect the health of staff and patients in every facility. This includes prohibiting non-essential visitors and implementing strict infection prevention and control measures. We have not yet seen the peak of COVID-19 in Alberta. It is likely that we will continue to see occasional cases in every part of Alberta, including in some healthcare settings. When cases do arise, health officials take every possible step to isolate anyone who may be exposed and to ensure there is no broader risk to any patients. It's important to remember that COVID-19 is not airborne. Only specific individuals are at risk when positive cases are identified. If patients are at risk of being exposed, we will alert Albertans. Before I conclude, I'd like to talk about opportunities we have to improve our health, even during these tough times. Specifically, I want to talk about smoking, vaping, and drinking alcohol. As you know, COVID-19 is a respiratory virus. Many Albertans have asked me if smokers and vapors are more at risk and if stopping smoking will protect you from COVID-19. Smoking and e-cigarettes can expose the lungs to toxic chemicals. It is not yet clear whether these exposures increase the risk of catching COVID-19. However, they do increase the risk of severe illness for those who get infected. There is growing evidence to suggest quitting smoking or vaping, even temporarily, can have positive outcomes in the prevention and treatment of COVID-19. Smoking increases the risk of poor outcomes from any lung infection, and this virus mainly affects the lungs. When you are smoking or vaping, you are also touching your mouth and lips. This can make it easier to catch the virus from your hands. Given all these factors, I strongly recommend that anyone who smokes or vapes take steps to quit or cut down during this pandemic. I know quitting is not easy. It takes incredible determination and support. This is a stressful time and quitting can add to that stress that many already feel. Having said that, in a time when it feels like we have little control over many things, this may help to focus on one thing that you can control. Please check with your pharmacist or your doctor to see if phone support is available to answer questions about your options to help support quitting or cutting down. Alberta Health Services also has several programs that can help, including a free Alberta Quits hotline that can provide confidential support every day of the week. It's also important that we limit drinking alcohol during this time. Alcohol consumption can make many things worse, including health issues, risk-taking behaviours, mental health and violence. All Albertans should be mindful of how much they are drinking. No more than about two drinks per day are recommended for women and three drinks per day for men. 
Canadians can also follow the national low-risk alcohol drinking guidelines for details about when alcohol is considered to be a risk. It's more important now than ever to look after both your physical and mental health. These are challenging days, and I know this virus is taking a heavy toll on families and communities. I know many Albertans are wanting to see that light at the end of the tunnel. Rest assured we are doing everything possible to limit the spread in Alberta and get our province through this incredibly difficult time. Remember, the best thing anyone can do to protect ourselves from COVID-19 is to practice physical distancing, wash our hands regularly, and follow all other public health measures that we've put in place. We will get through this together. Thank you, and I'm happy to take any questions that you have. All right, we will now go to the phone. Operator, can you please put through the first caller? First is Julia Wong with Global News. Go ahead, Julia. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Research from Western University suggests two meters may not be enough to protect someone from the droplets. In light of this, should masks become mandatory for Albertans, or should we be physically distancing more than two meters? So research that I've seen that suggests that uh, droplets can potentially spread more than two meters also looks at the uh, concentration of virus in the air and how likely it is that uh, the virus that spreads further would be in a high enough concentration to be a risk. Uh, I think that it's really important to make sure that we're all taking the measures that we need to take, such as regular hand washing, um, and certainly the, the wearing of masks, as we've talked about before, is a measure that's very helpful to prevent the spread from someone who may be ill and not know it, so perhaps uh, has either extremely mild symptoms or no symptoms at all, uh, and to help prevent that spread from themselves to others. With respect to wearing masks in public or wearing cloth masks, there's not a lot of evidence that those kinds of use of masks are ideal protection against being exposed to others. Uh, so again, what I would remind people is that if you are feeling sick, you need to stay home. Uh, and again, that we need to be practicing physical distancing because even if in some select circumstances that virus may spread a little bit further than two meters, the bulk of it, the highest concentration, will be closest to the person. Uh, and so staying that two meters away will still protect against the bulk of the exposure. And again, making sure that we are limiting the spread by uh, making sure that anyone who does have any kind of signs of sickness is not out in public. Operator, can you put through the next question, please? Next is Robert Tuttle with Bloomberg. Go ahead, Robert. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about yesterday's announcement of the oil sands, the uh, Curl oil sands site. Uh, the company said only one person was uh, positive at the site, and, yet, and there were been several other cases that they weren't on the site. Can you clarify that? Uh, were those people uh, in that area, or were they uh, off, uh, somewhere else? Sure. So uh, yesterday I talked about three confirmed cases. 
uh, one of those, as you say, uh, is on the site, and the other two had left the site. Uh, so the reason we talked about three cases being linked to that location is that uh, we had seen those three cases being diagnosed at around the same time, and they all seem to have potentially a common exposure at that site. And so that's why I was speaking about those three yesterday, but it is correct that only one of those is actually at the site at the moment. Uh, and we did have conversations, my colleagues at Alberta Health Services and at the Ministry of Health have had conversations with the company today to make sure that all parties have the information that everyone needs to make sure that control measures are in place. So at this point, the company does have that information about the additional confirmed cases that are linked back to that site, even though they're not currently on the site. Operator, could you put through the next question, please? Next is Emma Graney with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, Emma. Hey, Dr. Henshaw, a um, bit of a double barrel question. I know that you love these so much. Um, it's about various public health orders and how much they're being followed. Um, so basically, how much are they being followed? What are you seeing in terms of enforcement? What's been required there? And specifically, there's a driving range in Sherwood Park that claims it was actually in touch with AHS. Uh, it plans to open tomorrow, it says it's been given your blessing. Um, is there any scenario in which a driving range can actually be open, given we were talking about golf there yesterday? So the first question about how um, we've seen with res what we've seen with respect to compliance to the orders, uh, in terms of the discussions that I've had with my colleagues at Alberta Health Services, there have been examples of locations that either are not following the orders, so some examples of gyms, I think I mentioned that maybe last week. We have seen several gyms that were wanting to keep operating despite the orders for them to close, and so there have been orders issued to several of those to make sure that they're very aware that this is a legal requirement and not a suggestion. Uh, there have also been orders issued to some restaurants that have continued to offer dine-in services despite the restrictions. Uh, I think the vast majority of businesses are following the requirements because, again, I think it's really clear that this is something that we'll be successful in if we work together in, but those odd circumstances where someone is not following the requirements, the Alberta Health Services teams are out uh, following up on complaints and making sure that enforcement is happening with respect to businesses that are not following the rules. Uh, with respect to the driving range question, I'm not aware of any driving range that has been given a blessing to open, uh, and driving ranges would fall under the non-essential category, and so uh, that's something that I'll follow up on with my colleagues at Alberta Health Services uh, to make sure there's not something happening that, that I'm not aware of. But uh, again, it would be my direction that driving ranges in addition to golf courses would be considered non-essential and would not be open at this time. Thank you. Operator, we will have the next question, please. Next is James Keller with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, James. Oh, sorry, my question has been answered. Uh, you can go to the next person. Thanks. All right, next is Jeff Slack with 660 News. Go ahead, Jeff. Hi, Dr. Henshaw. Um, I was just wondering if uh, when we start looking at loosening restrictions at all, if we would be starting by age, because it seems that younger, uh, younger people aren't getting the virus as much as the older generation. 
So it's a good question, and uh, we are currently looking at all of the evidence that's available. There are other jurisdictions in the world that experienced circulation of the virus earlier than we did in Alberta uh, and are starting to ease restrictions, so we'll be watching very closely to see what their experience is. Uh, with respect to the age question, we do know that available evidence seems to indicate that children don't get as sick with this virus as adults. That does not mean, however, that children are immune to the virus, and it does not mean uh, that they are protected from severe outcomes. So there certainly are cases of children who have had severe disease and in some cases even death. Uh, so those pieces of evidence are ones that we're going to be using as we consider our options for reintegration and opening back up some of our restrictions. Uh, one of the things that's really important to think about though is that any restriction that we ease off, even if it were age-focused, um, we also need to consider the implications for the family around that particular child. Uh, so if we did ease off on a restriction that was with respect to children, we would have to be putting mitigation measures in place because we know that children live in families uh, and there can be parents who have chronic health conditions, there can be multi-generational families in the same household with older people, and so uh, there's not going to be any one restriction that will only target children, it will always have an effect back on the larger society in which those children live and those families. So those are all elements that we're taking into account as we're considering what our sequencing might look like for reopening. Okay. Operator, can you put through the next question, please? Next is Dean Bennett with the Canadian Press. Go ahead, Dean. Thanks. Hi, Dr. Henshaw. Can you elaborate on the uh, the, uh, the deaths and the 162 figure? Uh, are the two deaths from uh, continuing care facilities? And as far as the 162 goes, I think that's our highest one-day report. I assume that's due to higher testing rates. But what do you make of that number? And are any of these cases in Kerr Lake or in Cargill? These new ones? So with respect to the deaths, uh, both those deaths are in long-term care facilities. Uh, one is in the High River long-term care unit, uh, and the other is at the Manoir du Lac retirement home. Um, so again, emphasizing that these are our most vulnerable uh, residents when we, when we look at our deaths. With respect to the number of new deaths, yes, it is the highest one-day increase that we've had, certainly in, in quite a long time. We did expect that we would see higher confirmed case numbers as we've expanded our testing availability across the province. Unfortunately, because of our data system outages, I don't have the details on the breakdown of those 162 deaths and where they're actually from. So hopefully uh, by tomorrow, we'll have all of our data systems running again and we'll be able to provide some of that information. Uh, but unfortunately, I, I just don't have that detail at this time. Excellent. Just to clarify, there's been 162 new cases and oh, 50 deaths today. Sorry, Tom. Thanks. Not a problem. <laughs> Two new deaths. Yes, 162 cases. Operator, could you put through the next question, please? Next is Bill Kaufman with the Calgary Herald. Go ahead, Bill. Yes, hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, I'm wondering, uh, I, I think some people are wondering why um, the, they, they hadn't heard of the outbreak at Foothills Hospital maternity ward um, until you know more than a week um, after it happened, um, unlike some of the other outbreaks we're hearing about. And um, are you concerned about um, staff testing? mandatory staff testing screening uh, pre-shift at uh, healthcare facilities and in particularly at this one. 
So can I just clarify the concern about mandatory screening is, is the question whether I'm concerned that it's not happening or can you just clarify that second part of your question? Is that possible or? Operator, uh, can we let him bill on for one more moment? Uh, bill, your line is still open. Yeah, just if, is it, um, uh, it seems we've lost her. Okay. Yeah, yeah um, I'm just, I'm wondering if, if, it's, if that screening is being carried out, if, you know, properly. Okay, so, so with respect to the first part of the question, um, we, when we are looking at the new cases that are coming in and unusual events and determining uh, what the, uh, the critical pieces are that may have public interest or public risk in particular, uh, this one in particular was identified as a cluster where patients had not been put at risk. There were no patients that were identified. Uh, and so, as you can imagine, um, we are getting you know, many new cases and, and outbreaks on a daily basis. And so the ones that we choose to talk about are the ones that uh, we feel are in the public's interest. So for example, the outbreak at the Imperial Oil Camp where we had identified several cases who had been at the camp and then had left. Uh, we felt it was important that the public be aware of that in case there are people who had recently been at the camp. We are working on contact tracing and we're working on uh, making sure that all the appropriate measures are, are followed with respect to following up for people who have recently left that camp. However, again, it's important that people get that information as quickly as possible, hence the reporting of it in our availability, in my availability yesterday. Uh, and with respect to the foothills, again, it was just a matter of deeming that that one in particular uh, was not a patient safety concern. Uh, and so we didn't report it at the time that it happened because it was being dealt with. The question about the staff screening and whether or not that's being done adequately or accurately, uh, I think that would be one that I would have to follow up with Alberta Health Services on. Uh, I've not heard concerns that it is not being done adequately or correctly. Uh, and I would have to get additional information from colleagues about how this particular cluster of cases was identified. Uh, but one possibility is that it was exactly the screening that picked up these cases and was able to make sure that swift action was taken. So again, I'll, I'll be confirming that with colleagues at AHS, uh, but I've had no concerns reported to me about how that's being implemented. Operator, can we put through the next question, please? Next is Michael King with Global News. Go ahead, Michael. Hi there, doc Dr. Hinshaw. Um, what group homes have that serve people with uh, developmental disabilities have seen cases of COVID-19, and will all employees of these facilities have access to PPE across the board? Uh, so in terms of the list that I have with respect to group homes, um, I Many of the, the vast majority of the outbreaks that we have have been in long-term care or seniors care facilities. Uh, there's one group home uh, and unfortunately I don't have the zone uh, to be able to provide it. So that might be something we'll have to follow up with you afterwards. Uh, so we've had very few confirmed cases in group homes that I'm aware of, but group homes are part of the distribution plans for 
personal protective equipment and so they are being worked um, that's one group that we're working with Alberta Health Services is working with to make sure that they have access to PPE and to masks uh, and they also have access to the 1-800 number in AHS if they should have a suspect case to make sure that they have access to rapid testing and make sure that they have appropriate support to put any outbreak measures in place but we'll follow up with respect to that one particular group home um, and that zone after the call. Absolutely. Michael, we'll get back to you. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Jason Herring with the Calgary Herald. Go ahead, Jason. Hi, Dr. Henshaw. Um, so, so now that testing has expanded to all Albertans who are exhibiting symptoms, uh, what's the demand been like for testing in these recent days? And, and more specifically, how does the demand in Calgary compare to when testing was a bit more selective? So that's a good question and we did open it up to Calgary before we opened it up to the rest of the province um, and what we saw in the first few days after we opened it up to Calgary was uh, quite a significant spike in the first couple of days in terms of the number of referrals so we were seeing around five or six thousand referrals a day so that's people who either went into the online Alberta Health Services assessment portal or called 811. And then it did take a couple of days to, to process those people with those referrals into assessment centers to get their swabs done and get those swabs uh, tested at the lab. And we've seen a, a similar uptick in numbers as we've expanded to the entire province. I don't currently have a breakdown of those numbers in terms of how many people have been referred for testing in Calgary versus Edmonton. Uh, so that's something we can take away and, and try to get back. I just have that total provincial number. Uh, but we do know that the majority of the new cases that we were seeing uh, over the few days before unfortunately our data systems went down we were seeing the most of those new cases coming out of Calgary and so once we get our data systems back up it will be obviously something we'll be looking very closely at to see if the cases we've had over the last couple of days have had a similar trend so you can look for that to be a part of the update I provide tomorrow excellent it's past four o'clock so we'll wind it up in a few more questions operator could you put through the next question please Next is Jennifer Lee with CBC. Go ahead, Jennifer. Oh, hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I'm wondering if you can provide us with some numbers on the Cargill, Cargill situation. Like, what is the latest in terms of the number of cases that have been tested there and that have come back positive? So I don't have a breakdown of the Cargill site specifically. You may remember a few days ago when I talked about the outbreak that we were seeing in High River. Uh, we were seeing more of a, a community outbreak where some of the cases certainly were connected to the Cargill plant, uh, but many of those cases were linked to large households where there are many people living together in the same house uh, and many of the, the other members of those households are working in healthcare uh, and so there seemed to be a, a crossover between uh, people who are working in long-term care facilities and maybe there had been an outbreak and those people had been exposed and then transmission within the household. So again, I, I only have numbers for the, the High River outbreak as a, a community. Uh, I don't have numbers for the plant in particular. Um, and let me see if I have those. Uh, so there are 164 cases in High River, uh, which is quite a high number. And those cases, as I say, are not all at Cargill. That's just one subsection.
This is an outbreak that's fairly complex and as I say is linked to multiple factors and my colleagues in Calgary Zone, the medical officers of health there, are working very hard to bring the outbreak under control and some of that outbreak control measure includes a lot of testing and follow-up of close contacts which is why we see that increased number because of that really aggressive contact tracing and follow-up. Operator, can you put through the next question please? Next is Kevin Nimick with CTV. Go ahead, Kevin. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Earlier this week, as you know, the Premier provided some comments on Dr. Tam's performance leading us through this pandemic as Canada's top doctor. Since then, we've heard some uh, various comments in the media, uh, some disparaging and some quite positive. I'm wondering if we could get your assessment of Dr. Tam's performance. Uh, so I think any particular questions uh, you know, about the comments that, that were made earlier this week uh, would be best to direct to the Premier's office. I you have uh, a lot of respect for all of my colleagues across the country and, and the work that we do together as a collaborative. Uh, and so specific comments, I think, you know, again, related back to the earlier um, availability would probably be best to direct to the Premier. Excellent. We'll take two more questions. Operator, could you please put through the next question, please? Next is Dylan Short with the Edmonton Journal. Go ahead, Dylan. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, I know that we were expecting some higher numbers this week with the expanded testing. I was wondering um, if we know when that might sort of normalize or if we're expecting these numbers to stay quite high. And I was wondering if the expanded testing um, has given any more insights into some of those projections that we saw last week in terms of are we close to the low end or close to the high end or is it still too early to tell? Sure, so uh, we have seen, as I mentioned, in the few days after the expansion was announced, a quite a significant jump in the number of people who were referred for testing. Uh, but then it seems to be taking a little while for those people to work through the system, go into the assessment centers to get the testing and have that swab run at the lab. So I know that yesterday there were over 5,000 people who were referred for testing through either 811 or through um, the online AHS assessment tool. Uh, and yesterday there were just over 3,000 people who were swabbed in the assessment centers. That does not include people who were admitted to hospital or tested through our surveillance systems or in primary care. So the numbers would be higher than that of all those who were tested yesterday. And then the number, as I mentioned earlier, is uh, about 2,700 uh, tests that were run at the lab in the last 24 hours. So you can see that there's uh, it does take a little bit of time from the announcement to getting people assessed and screened into the testing centers and then getting tested. Uh, so we anticipate that the numbers will continue to go up through the week and expect that we'll be able to use those numbers to dig into the details. Unfortunately, with our data systems being down, we haven't been able to do as much analysis of the expanded numbers as we'd hoped to this week. Uh, and so that will maybe be something that uh, we, I won't be able to comment on tomorrow as I'd hoped, but uh, in, the, in the coming week, we'll be able to utilize that data once our systems are back up and operating. In terms of total numbers though, certainly uh, as I mentioned before, our hospitalization numbers those are numbers that aren't going to be changing based on our testing criteria and those have continued to be relatively stable uh, and we will hopefully again a bit of a delay because of our data issues but hopefully by next week be able to start producing our graphs of those hospitalization trends and those are on the low end they're lower than our modeling predicted and even with our increase in case counts that we've seen lately from expanded testing uh, we are still on the the lower side but we do need a little more 
time with that expanded testing to watch the trends and to understand where the risk areas are for transmission. So again, um, I'd hope to be able to talk about that tomorrow. It may now be next week, but we will get details out to the public as soon as we can. Operator, can you please put through a final question for us today? Yeah, final question is Stephanie Rousseau with CBC. Go ahead, Stephanie. Hello, Dr. Inshaw. I'm wondering, can you give us an update of the number of cases of Manuel Zulak? And uh, also, they say on their webpage that the criteria for swabbing have changed. And I'm just uh, wondering, because they say that now more residents are getting tested. So can you talk a little bit about that? Is everybody now getting tested at that facility? Thank you. Sure. So the updated numbers for Manuel Zulak. Um, Unfortunately, there are 38 cases at that, uh, that's in staff and residents at that home at this time, uh, with five deaths now in that residence. And with respect to testing, so when we had some challenges a couple of weeks ago with swabs, uh, we were testing the first batch or the first several symptomatic residents or staff and then we were identifying any subsequent residents who had symptoms as probable cases, treating them as uh, as if they were a case, making sure that they were isolated, doing everything we normally would do, but not necessarily swabbing them. Now that we have expanded lab capacity, we are testing anyone with symptoms uh, and we are looking closely at the possibility of doing select testing of some asymptomatic residents in settings like this where there are outbreaks uh, and so that's something that I'm working with my colleagues to consider how we would implement what implications that would have for outbreak control but the most important testing is really focusing on those who have symptoms at this point and as I mentioned uh, that's something that we're now doing with any resident or staff who has symptoms even if we've already identified a certain number of people in that facility who are confirmed cases. Excellent. Thank you all for tuning in today. Um, we'll provide another update tomorrow afternoon and have a good afternoon. It is uh, 4.12 on 6.30 Chet Afternoons. You've been listening to Dr. Dina Hinshaw's daily update. I can tell you that there's been 162 new cases of COVID-19 reported in the province of Alberta, bringing that total to 2,158. Dr. Hinshaw also telling us that there are two new deaths, bringing the overall total to 50. Uh, one of the deaths is a, a male in his 70s. Another is a, a female in her 80s. Both of them were in long-term care facilities. Um, Dr. Hinshaw going on to give us an update on what's happening uh, with some of the other outbreaks, what's happening at, uh, at Curl Lake and uh, at, at Cargill. Also had talked about uh, Foothills Maternity Centre, the maternity ward, um, which uh, actually happened, uh, sounds like, uh, about a week, week and a half ago. Also touched on what she's saying is that for smokers and vapors that, you know, if you can, it might be a good idea to cut back or quit right now. And on the alcohol front, uh, she is saying that it's important to limit alcohol at this time because it uh, increases um, the possibility of a, of a number of things.